This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. So one of the other things about 50 Cent's book right, is that it was written in pre-COVID times. And, and just like the old expression of like pre-9-11 or whatever else, pre-COVID times, it really does throw a different inflection on things. And 50 has a reasonable amount of good advice. I'd say sort of 65 to 70% is your standard work-a-day, common-sense flavoured sort of self-help advice of, like, try hard to do stuff, be nice, etc. I mean, the title is literally Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter, (laughs) Love50.com or whatever it is. Oh, this is 50.com. Let's not get too distracted, but that was my favorite website for a time. <laughs> um, it was really, really good. <laughs> this is when he was beefing with Rick Ross and it was hiring actors and then was like employing his, I think his, one of his, one of the mothers of one of Rick Ross's children, he employed as an actress to like act in like a sitcom just on This Is 50. He did heaps of funny stuff. And of course, you've seen that TikTok where, um, Gerald's concert tickets went on special. And so 50 bought the first four rows. <laughs> and so Gerald comes out on stage. So, so, and so we're left to imagine um, that Gerald comes out on stage to just the four empty rows, which I think is super funny. Um, but there we are. We're talking about 50 Cent's pre-COVID advice. And, and can I just can I just cut in? Is 50 Cent the greatest person alive? Because every story you tell, I'm like, <laughs> he's just... Not, maybe not, but he's like Loki. He's just a cheeky prankster who's also very good at rapping and telling stories and giving advice. And, like, his whole line... Like, his advice is be fearless, right? That's his advice. And he's like, look, when I say be fearless, it doesn't mean I don't have any fears. And it's like, oh. <laughs> Fearless is an interesting <laughs> word to choose. <laughs> okay. But, like, in this book, not to linger on it too much, he, like, vents about how disappointing his first son is compared to his second son. <laughs> and he goes through... Various suggestions he's made to try to like get his. He's like, look, I noticed my first son's into sneakers, so one day I saw a sneaker shop going out of business, and I just bought all this stock at cost price. And I was like, hey man, like selling sneakers online, I think is a real vibe, and you know, like happy to talk about splitting the cost of storage space for you to get you know a website up and running. That was in 2014, and he didn't do it because he's lazy like his mum. And anyway, today, sneakershop.com has a $2 billion valuation. So who was right? <laughs> Not my disappointing first son. <laughs> it's just like, oh, 50 cents. Jesus. It was funny. But so anyway, his pre-COVID advice is if you want someone to agree with you, just touch them on the forearm as you're asking them for what you want. <laughs> 
And, <laughs> and he goes into serious detail. He goes into like two or three paragraphs. So like, say you're talking to your boss, right? And you want to raise. Just when you're talking about all the good points to be raised in your favor, just touch him or her on the arm and you'll be surprised at how much more influence you can exert over this person. So that's one weird bit of practical advice. And then... His, oh, his anecdotes always involve famous people, as I think I told you last last time. And he's like, so Bruce Willis gave me this bit of advice <laughs> one time. Oh, if you want to command attention in a room, don't speak more loudly. Speak more quietly and people are leaning to listen. <laughs> Which is such great advice. I'm like, hey, man, it's like, oh, sorry, Bruce. What are you? Well, I mean, doing? I think the thing is, and like, oh, I love... Uh, like I, I'm still on board with the 50 train, but when <laughs> celebrities do write self-help books, they're never from a position of research. It's purely every bit of advice is anecdotal based on their anecdotal, own life. Yeah. So 50 Cent can absolutely walk into a room and speak softly and everyone will be like, oh, 50, what, what's 50 saying? Whereas like if I just walked into a crowded room, it was like, oh, everyone would be like, oh, cool, good, good, yeah. So it's like when I'm negotiating you know, movie deals, I just try to talk as quietly as I can. And I'm like, great, broadly applicable advice. Also, imagine how many horrified people there are in the world who have been on the receiving end of people inspired blindly by this book and are just fucking touching people's arms willy-nilly, being like, hey, and it's like, don't touch me. Who are you? What's going on? He even addresses that. He's even like, don't touch for too long or don't, or don't do it in a weird way and don't tell him I told you to do it if you're going to do it weird. It's like, what are you talking about? He's amazing. It, it is easily my favourite book. I reread it at like double double at two point five speed, so I just really got through it. Um. <laughs> All right, so you know, as Fifty says, keep your ears to the streets. You know, we do. Yes, we, you know, and be fearless. And be fearless. So that's relevant too. So you know, we're always on our Insta page. Follow us at you know, just search Spooko, you'll find us. And you know, last week we did Chud, and one of the comments under Chud mm. was, and I'm paraphrasing here. It was from one of the friends of the pod, Katie, who was basically like, "You fucking idiots! When are you doing The Exorcist?" And I don't know if it was she those exact say, words. Katie, bloody hell! <laughs> I don't know if it was those exact words. We're doing a free podcast here. Like we're trying, like fucking, like. <laughs> but you know what? I've had a few free beers in fairness. Yeah, and it was it was a hugely good... It was a good point, more so now than ever, because during my horror phase, I watched yep. it, I read the book. I read a lot of horror books at the time, and I remember The Exorcist being amazing. I I actually read the book as well, so this will be an interesting intro, entry in the Spooko, uh, Spooko universe. Yeah, I'm excited. I love the ones where there's, there's some sort of knowledge, but obviously it's been a while, and hopefully Wikipedia can do it justice. So today, yep. thanks to Katie... We are doing The Exorcist. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. The world of darkness. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. The one hope, the only hope, the exorcist.
Oh man, I'm super pumped up. Although the like the preview at a minute and a half long felt like it was about a thousand years <laughs> long. Like pre- preview editing has improved super heaps. Films now have like. 20,000 shots in two and a half hours. Films back then had like five shots. Like every every shot goes for so long in old movies and old horror movies are no different. But look, there's a lot of reasons why when Katie berated us about doing this and I was like, God, we need to do this. Um, Did you really go in at us? Because it like... Okay. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, what's up, Katie? No, I'm being... You're welcome. I'm being facetious, but okay, all right. Okay. Because a lot of the horror tropes that we've been identifying, you know, over Mm. the course of this podcast are well and present in The Exorcist. And perhaps some of them might be, you know, the origins of them. One of the tropes is old movies are shit, though, so I'll, I'll, I'll be interested to see to see if that pays off. Well, I mean, this was the first horror movie to be nominated for Best Picture. I think it was nominated for about 10 Oscars. It won a bunch of them, including Best Screenplay. This is... I feel like this predates hereditary and the newfound sort of like a24 you know art uh, art house appreciation of horror films where it's like horror films can be you know arty and beautiful and still shocking and terrifying sick all right let's do it all right it was based on a true story and not in that blair witch way like an actual true story apparently the writer of the original novel which is from 1971 Mm. remembered hearing a story about a boy (laughs) who He remembered hearing a story. <laughs> the true, the true event. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, no, no it's no. based on the fact that he definitely did hear a story. So it's, it's definitely based it's, on... it's, in that sense, it couldn't be a truer story. <laughs> But, I mean, you know, it was based on, you know, apparently this exorcism that happened to a boy in 1949. And the reason why we can go, well, it was a true story, not because there was an actual demon in anyone, but the Catholic Church still practices exorcism. Now, here's an interesting thing. So I looked into Mm. this. Exorcism isn't a sacrament. It's a sacramental. And the difference is there's no set way to do an exorcism. It just needs two things. It needs, like, explicit authorization from the church so the church yep. needs to act like you need to have like basically it in writing to be like the church allows this to happen yep. and then the second bit which is annoying because it's entirely unqualifiable you need to have heaps of faith oh faith it's like oh you <laughs> fucked it up <laughs> you didn't have enough faith <laughs> which is fucked right but yeah. it's like you know why I think that's kind of dangerous mm. is the this sort of genre which you know it's it's a kind of true genre where it's sort of like the it, it's almost based in reality because they do a lot of study of you know the bible and you know like demonology and whatever and it's like well maybe this is a true thing and because this came out in 1973 this actually helped recruitment for both the priesthood and the nunhood in the catholic church like this was like this was essentially a recruitment tool which is probably why even though this movie is super explicit it was a lot of the church was kind of in favor for in favor of it to the point where I think there's a priest who plays one of the roles is actually played by a priest in it, which to oh, me, sick. I'm like, on the one hand, that's lol. Yeah. But on the other hand, there's a, there's a huge problem in this because in this genre, priests are essentially magicians. 
Oh, like in the world of The Exorcist, is it? It's like, yeah. don't worry, I'll just magic out that demon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which 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 I like, which I have a problem with, where it's like, and so and so the uptake in like priest recruitment in the nineteen seventies is basically for people wanting to be wizards. They're like, yeah, sick. <laughs> <laughs> Teach yeah, me some so magic going... tricks. <laughs> yeah, they're basically like, okay, when's my first exorcism? Yeah. Let's get this. Yeah. Let's get. This. <laughs> Yeah, so it helped recruitment for the Catholic Church, which is insane. Mm. Um, to everybody who worked on it, kind of believed in uh, possessions, and I'm gonna like I'm gonna go on record to say that demonic possession isn't a thing. Like I don't care. But, oh, Shag, like, don't, don't wind up the demons. <laughs> well, no, I, I don't want to wind up the demons. But let me let me do a deep dive into you know Shag's past. Yep. When I was a teenager, me and a friend of ours uh, were invited to like work work in the kitchen at like a Christian camp, like a like a super Christian evangelical Lex. camp. We, yeah. Lex has been a guest on the podcast. You're allowed to mention. Oh his yeah, name. of course. Of course. So Al, who you know has been on the podcast and will be on the podcast again, uh, we both worked at this Christian camp. We still haven't we been like invited these... to Schnitzkeed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut across <laughs> you. We still haven't. But it, we were maybe 16 or 17, and we were bunking with people who were actually going to this camp, and everyone was sort of you know late teens, early 20s, and there was this guy in our dorm. And he was from like a you know a coasty community, and Peach, you know that like coasty high schools can be pretty like demon filled. <laughs> but they're demon filled. No, no, no. But he, we were like hanging out in the in the cabin, and you know he's obviously you know born again, so he's trying to sell us on the religion, and he sort of explained that the moment when you know he turned to uh, this this super evangelical Christianity was when he was in high school, he bullied this girl so much that she eventually tried to commit suicide. This is a true story. And he then told us that it was the devil that made him do that. And even then, even as a te- even as an impressionable teenager, I was like, "Hang on, hang on." That's fairly convenient. <laughs> <laughs> like that's 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 back to the history of religion that you know Geoffrey Chaucer was having a go at six hundred years ago of like where you can buy forgiveness, where the priests are like, "Well, oh, it's gonna be a bit more than that." Like, oh, like really? How much? It's like, well, pretty sinful stuff. <laughs> Better put a few more coins in the. T- <laughs> absolution is what you sell in some of these religions thomas not all of them there are people of faith who do admirable things and we admire them yeah and then there are fuckwits look i don't want to i don't want to shit on it i think like mm. church at a local level is great but mm. what i what i think the problem with this is it sells the wrong thing instead of being like hey you can be a good positive force oh, yeah. in the community <laughs> it's like, it's like you magic. can be a magician <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so, but but to that point about it being, you know, like everyone believed, you know, the director himself was like, I know that this has been put on all of these lists of, you know, the best horror movie of all. And it was also like a total humble blag where it's like, look, I know everyone's saying that I've made the greatest horror film ever. <laughs> but he, he in the end was like, I don't see it as a horror film. I see it as a movie about the mystery of faith. And th- this is, there's precedent in that because... I can't remember who said it. I'm not sure if it was Stanley Kubrick himself, but somebody said about The Shining. The Shining's actually a positive film because it's about the fact that there is an afterlife. And even though the people in the film are all a bit spooky, it you know if there's bad people in the afterlife, surely there's fun afterlife as well. 
That's a stretch. <laughs> um, but it, it was also like a crazy popular film. I think part of that was the fact that it was quite scandalous, uh, which I, I just discovered it wasn't made. You weren't allowed to rent or buy this film in the UK until 1999, <laughs> which is like almost 30 years after it came out, which is, which is like, crazy. We'll, like we'll get to it, I imagine. We will get to it. Well, I mean, here's the thing. So the main character, Linda Blair. Is this the one where the devil makes her perform sexual acts with a crucifix? Yeah, she masturbates with a crucifix. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, I can imagine that being fairly upsetting for an English audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'd be like, oh, Pom, my Pom, hate masturbation with crucifixes. <laughs> I mean, but but even thinking about that, like, you know, the, the, the director himself was just sort of like, I, we it was hard to cast because it's like, how do we, how do we do this in a way where we're not actually, I guess we're not damaging like, you know, a 13 year old with like, uh, like a role that's really, you know, not for her because the idea is that there's a demon inside you, but you can't, you can't cast a 13 year old and cast a demon and be like, okay, now demon, you're going to go into Linda Blair. (laughs) Like it doesn't work like that. Right. (laughs) And so, so they found this girl, Linda Blair, who they thought was like really worldly. I think she was already a model and she'd read the book. So they sort of thought, okay. But what's interesting about this film is afterwards, Linda Blair like basically lived in the shadow of this film for the rest of her life. Uh, she, and she might still be alive. I didn't actually look that up. But, uh, but she was asked questions in you know in the in the press cycle of the film that just weren't she wasn't really ready for about like faith and demons and all this stuff of, you know, there were like death threats to people who thought the film was like, oh, you know, too, like too scandalous. Like it, it was, and like, even now, like when she tried to do other things, everything always came back to the exorcist. And what's interesting is it's not the only, I guess, adverse effect that making this film had. And I want to build to a point before I start this. Yeah. Okay. Should we so, be doing it? Like, were we thrown under well, the bus by our friend on Instagram? Well, look, look, look. So her life was kind of not ruined, but overshadowed by being in this film when she was 13. The voice actress was a woman named Mercedes McCambridge. And she was a voice actor during the Orson Welles, like radio days sort of okay. thing. And the director cast her because he was like, I need someone to play the demon voice and I need someone who just understands how to make their voice do good things. And when he contacted Mercedes McCambridge, she was like, no, I'm a believer. I believe in demons. I believe in this stuff. I know what to do. But I've also been a recovering alcoholic for like 20 years and the only way I'm going to be able to do this is to start drinking again. And so... To just bring to life the voice of this demon, this recovering alcoholic had to go back to the booth. And not only that, to make the voice of the demon in this film, she would uh, swallow raw eggs, which would give her voice like a gloopy sort of... Yeah. Yeah, okay. She would... She started... She's quit smoking, but she started smoking again to make it gravelly. And then she would guzzle booze before takes to like... Like just give it that edge, which is why the demon sounds like a which is insane, right? But that wasn't it. So you know, Linda Blair's life, you know, Mercedes McCambridge really had to basically sacrifice herself to do this. Multiple people on the film were injured, and multiple people connected to the people in the film were killed. Someone died of a cold. Someone like fell down. You know, like like uh, something very similar to what happens in the film. Like all of this stuff happened, and on top of that 
halfway through filming, the entire set burned down under mysterious circumstances. So they had to rebuild it again and the whole film took like twice as long and cost twice as much because of that. So all of that happened to create one of the, you know, my most iconic horror films of all time. And it made me think, and I'm sorry to come back to Terrifier again, but it made me think. I love that Terrifier tri- actually is a classic, you know, like it actually it turns out that it's a modern classic. Well, look, when I, when I look at, you know, the analytics of our podcast and the ones mm. that people search for, people search for Terrifier. Like, it's like, oh, I found this podcast about Terrifier. I'm going to listen to it. Um, is everyone American who listens to this podcast? Is that is that what, what you were saying when we spoke about it? We, we have a big American, like, shout out. Um, I shout hope out. you can understand yeah. <laughs> through our thick Australian accents. Yeah, best of luck and, yeah, okay, good wishes to you guys. Uh, Oh god, yeah, this is the worst. Oh my yeah, god, man. yeah. Anyway, so, but 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 I guess what I'm trying to say mm. is, it's like to make a truly great and iconic horror film, mm. how, like in the way that great art, you know, like great songs and stuff do, do come from a place of pain or you know hardship or whatever. Mm. Does a horror film have to kind of, uh... you know, be made under difficult and cursed circumstances for it to be truly great? Everyone who watches this movie is going to die. Antrim style. That is is the greatest point you've ever made. All right, so let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, This is The Exorcist from 1973. Mm. It made $443 million at the box office. I plugged that into an inflation calculator, which means if it came out today and was obviously the same circumstances, that's equivalent. Two and a half billion dollars. Two and a half billion. Which I'm pretty sure even 50 Cent never had two and a half billion (laughs) dollars. He's super defensive about that, by the way. He's really touchy. (laughs) He's like, I'm rich. So I'm really rich. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So... We, we start with Lancaster Merrin, who's a veteran Catholic priest. Again, like the way they, they're Strong like, name. Catholic priests have seen some shit, but yeah. it is a good name. Uh, Lancaster Merrin, a mm. veteran Catholic priest who performed an exorcism in the 1950s, is at an archaeological dig in the ancient city of Hatra, or Hatra in Iraq, which, number one... The first person you want on your archaeological dig, Catholic priest. Yeah, like, guys, okay, we've got a surveyor, we've got an archaeologist. <laughs> so there he finds an amulet that resembles Pazuzu. Now, I do love in this podcast where we start talking about actual demons. So Pazuzu is an Assyrian demon. Uh can I interrupt? Like, do, do you are you actually saying to me you believe that Azuzu, like Azuzu is an Assyrian demon? I'm not like like I said before, possession doesn't exist. But I'm saying the stories of Pazuzu. Okay, exist. cool. Somebody <laughs> told somebody about Pazuzu at some point. That I believe. In. Okay, cool. Anyway, Lancaster Merrin also believes that. Pazuzu exists in some form or another cool. because he's familiar with the history of Pazuzu. And let's go into Pazuzu for a second. Yeah. Because Pazuzu is, uh, well, he's, he's derived from a character from Assyrian and Babylonian mythology. He was considered the king of the demons of the wind and he was sometimes pictured, I love this, he, was, he had the body of a man, the head of a lion or a dog, Eagle-like talon feet. I also love that back in the day when imagination didn't really exist and yeah. no one like made good things. You just had to glue stuff together. Yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> so 
Body of a man, head of a lion or a dog, eagle-like taloned feet, two pairs of wings, a scorpion's tail. <laughs> not two pairs. <laughs> it's also, like, not scary at all. Um, and a serpentine penis, which I guess means, like, a really long Because pe- it's like, do snakes have... Do they have... So pe- a serpentine penis, is that a penis that is similar to a snake? I assume so. Or is that so. a snake's penis? Because also, how does that work? Because we know that, like, and I don't want to get too gross and analytical, but a penis works because blood or whatever fluid rushes through it, and then it's super hard. But obviously a snake works because it can move around. So is it a segmented penis that is able to sort of move around like, you know, oh, like one of those wooden stuff. snake toys? Well, then it wouldn't be very effective at, at reproduction, <laughs> presumably, or at penetration, um, if it couldn't maintain an erection. But uh, I wonder if that's how Pazuzu reproduces. I guess that's another open question. Does he reproduce like a snake? Yeah, okay. Well, let's let's see if this Wikipedia <laughs> article about the film that Pazuzu features in is going to tell us that answer. Open on Pazuzu's penis. <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile, in Georgetown, actress Chris McNeil is living on location with her 12-year-old daughter, Reagan. Mm. She's starring in a film about student activism directed by her friend and associate, Burke Dennings. Now, if ever there was a 70s movie character name, Burke Dennings Dennings. is that 10 out of 10 name. 10 out of 10. (laughs) Now, after playing with a Ouija board and contacting a a supposedly imaginary friend who she calls Captain Howdy, Good spooky name. Mm. Reagan begins acting strangely, using obscene language and exhibiting abnormal strength. Additionally, there is a poltergeist-like activity in the home at night. She starts drinking raw eggs and smoking (laughs) and gets back on the booze. (laughs) But there's also, like, there's this layer of 70s kink shaming in this. Because she's like... Her, is it her wrong to masturbate is... with a crucifix sort of thing? Yeah, I well, guess no, it's I'm not, not. No, okay. I'm not, like, well, no, I'm, it's I mean, not. It... No, like, I think we're down with that. If you don't believe in the symbolism of it and you do it in a private way so you're not affected... Well, I, like, look, I don't know. I don't want to... Maybe if you do believe in the symbolism. Yeah, like, if you, like if that's your vibe, awesome. Yeah, we're not a kink shame podcast. Sick. Go and for also, it. I don't... I don't... I don't want to curse this podcast any more than it already has been. I sort of do. Like, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> We're not getting cursed. Don't worry about it. But also, when it talks about being obscene, she starts saying things like, like, your mom sucks cocks in hell. And it's sort of like... <laughs> don't kink shame the mum. Like, that's what she wants to do. You know, like, and also it's like, oh, hell is where people have sex. It's like, well, maybe I want to be going to hell. Like... <laughs> You it's know, a like... sales pitch for hell. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Let's let's move on. Though. No. It's so like no 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 like it's super super true of like <laughs> what is sin if we have all sinned? Yeah yeah. Super super true. Lucky I've got enough faith to deal with it and enough okay from the Pope to talk about it. So get ready for another horror trope that we saw in Relic. Chris hosts a, so Chris Reagan's mom hosts a party mm. during which Reagan comes dumped downstairs unannounced tells one of the guests an astronaut also I love just having a dinner party where an astronaut's man it's like cool awesome there's like four in the world how is an astronaut going to be at your party like like all the 
things. I love seventies jobs. Like, what else would you have? Like a door-to-door salesman, <laughs> uh, telephone operator, <laughs> like fax machine inventor. <laughs> like, <laughs> really weird stuff going on. Anyway, so Reagan comes down. She tells the astronaut that he will die up there, and then urinates on the floor. Which again, like, is a bit of a horror trope to be like, things aren't right when someone's in an old-fashioned nightgown and they urinate on the yes, floor. Yes, mark your bingos. Too scary. Didn't watch style. Later, Reagan's bed begins to shake violently, further adding to her mother's horror. Like again, it's like the mother's like, okay, so. There's been poltergeist things happening. She's been saying weird things in a scary voice. She came down, urinated on the floor and told, but now that the bed's shaking, I'm like, yeah. hmm. It's like, uh, I guess, uh, I guess I'll have to take it <laughs> So she consults a number of physicians, uh, but Dr. Klein and his associates find nothing physiologically wrong with her daughter, despite Reagan undergoing a battery of diagnostic tests. One night when Chris is out, Burke Dennings is babysitting a heavily sedated Reagan. Chris returns to hear that he has died falling out of the window. Oh, okay. Well, gosh, that is that that sentence executed quickly from like what is it? Chris returns to find. He's like, mm, okay, cool. Like if we were to come up with an ad cat like a classic, you know, nineteen sixties ad campaign messaging campaign mm. for Wikipedia, I'd be like zero to a hundred. Like every you know, every new sentence <laughs> is a roller coaster. Adventure. You do not know what is gonna happen next. <clears throat> Okay, so although that it is assumed to have been an accident given Burke's history of heavy drinking, his death is investigated by Lieutenant William Kinderman. Kinderman interviews Chris. He also consults psychiatrist father Damien Carras, a Jesuit priest struggling with his face, which only worsens after the death of his frail mother. Again, the idea that, like, a Jesuit is, like, a hero when, like, again, we went to school with Jesuits and they're fine, but, like... In in yeah, anyway, look, I'm I'm not gonna yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna <laughs> They just start beef with everyone. Uh, look, the Vatican's a powerful organization and my dad is actually a member of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a really good one. So I'm like, guess what? <laughs> They had they had great ideas. I'll say Although, that. Although so... advice is, if we can't be friends, can we please be enemies? Because he says, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, which is like super funny. So he's like, start beef with people more prominent than you in your space. So then you'll be com- you'll be mentioned alongside them. And so he's like, my strategy for the first three seasons of Power was to be like. Fuck Game of Thrones. Everyone's talking about oh power versus Game of Thrones all the time. And of course it's power. (laughs) 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 And then he's like, Oprah sucks. I hate Oprah. We're beefy. (laughs) And then he talks about meeting Gail, who's Oprah's partner or lover or whatever it is. And he's like, yeah, that's right, Gail. I'm just saying to Oprah, if we can't be friends, can we be enemies? And Gail's like, you're a classic guy, 50. Come meet Oprah. (laughs) That's... (laughs) That's the story. It's like, what are you talking about? It's the best book I've ever read. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. So back back to the exorcist. The doctors, thinking that Reagan's aberrations are mostly psychological in origin, mm. recommend an 
recommended exorcism be performed. The reasoning doctors, that the, the doctors <laughs> recommended exorcism. No, wait, wait, wait. I was laughing too, but the next sentence makes sense. So, reasoning that believing oneself to be possessed can sometimes be cured by believing that exorcism works as well. Yeah. Okay. Look, that 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 did bring a little more uh, balance to the uh, to the suggestion, but still. So, so Chris arranges a meeting with Karis mm. after Reagan speaks backward in different voices and, and then exhibits scars in the form of the world's help me in her stomach. Karis is convinced that Reagan is possessed. Okay, so again, my other thing is there's, there's obviously a fine line. You don't want to over-explain things, mm. but I kind of want to know how a possessed you know, 12-year-old girl mm. who has a demon inside her, once the demon takes over, learns to... Carve her name. Help me in her stomach. Yeah, help me in her stomach. Like I don't. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Doesn't matter. Maybe we're immersed enough at that stage. We're like, yeah, yeah. Like I get it. It's like possession rules. Where you know, like we're with you. (laughs) Maybe they earned enough credit by that stage. So. But Shag, if you can't be friends with it, (laughs) be enemies. So the experienced Merrin is who you remember from the start of the yeah, film yeah. at the archaeological dig. Yeah, he loves selected for... dicks, that guy. <laughs> Always looking for select... him. <laughs> hey, look, he understands that that's the symbol of Pazuzu. Pazuzu, by the way, great name for a demon. Yes, feels like, really demon-y. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strongly agree. The experienced Merrin is selected for performing the actual exorcism with Karis assisting. Both priests witness Reagan perform a series of bizarre, vulgar acts, which includes... And again, we don't see it, but we know that she masturbates with the crucifix. <laughs> it's like, oh, don't masturbate with the crucifix. Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, you're doing it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> hey, hey and, and I've got to say, I'm sorry for, like, I keep saying it, but you can't read any article of, on The Exorcist without seeing that phrase pop up multiple times. Like, if there's one cultural takeaway that, you know, then seeped into the greater social conscience, it is that phrase. It just comes up in every, you know, in every article talking about it. So, you know, so we have we have both priests. We have the, like, you know, the, the veteran priest and the rookie priest who's questioning his faith. Yep. They attempt to exorcise the demon, but the stubborn entity by now claiming to be the devil himself, toys with them, especially Karis, because it knows Karis is weak. Karis shows emotional weakness after the demon impersonates his late mother and is dismissed by Merrin, who attempts the exorcism alone. I love impersonates the late mother. It's like, your mum's like this. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, like, you know, I can do a great your mum. of like, no, welcome home, honey. (laughs) Just an impressionist demon. But the other thing is... But also, like, grief is not... Like, isn't grief, like, a sign of resilience and being at peace? Like, is is it not the exact opposite of emotional weakness? (laughs) Fucking hell, tough times. Such a good point. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so Marin attempts the so no, Karis is the young one. Marin is the old. Similar veteran. names, and I apologise nonetheless. <laughs> so Marin attempts the exorcism alone, but then Karis enters the room later and discovers Marin has died of a heart attack. 
Okay, well, that's another Wikipedia sentence. How did that sentence start again? Karis enters the room later and yeah. discovers Varen so has died of a heart attack. Karis enters the room later. You're like, okay, cool. Mm. And discovers. You're like, ooh, okay, what's, what's going to happen here? But if you remember the book and you've seen the trailer, while this is happening, there's heaps of spooky shit happening in the room and, like, yeah, okay. all the lights are flashing on and off and she's being like, she's got, like, a scary face and she's being like, ah. When does the spider walk happen? Because I'm not sure I've seen that. This is the iconic walk backwards down the stairs or whatever it is. Yeah, in fact, if you should actually just Google it right now because it's actually pretty scary. If you just Google Nexus of Spider Walk, you'll see it. Sure. Skip this ad. Just like you skipped out on buying Amazon stock and Google and app. What the hell do you mean going off and making Reagan by yourself? Are you crazy? Your window's wide open. Oh, oh, it's crazy. Didn't he tell you? Didn't who tell me? Ah, What's Bert got to do? Look, there wasn't anybody here, so when I went to get Thorazine, I had him stay with her and... Oh, I shouldn't have known that. I'm so... I guess you shut up. How are the tests? We have to start looking for a train. Hi, Chuck. Come on in. Suppose he heard. Heard what? Hasn't heard. Burke's dead. He must have been drunk. He fell down from the top of the steps right outside. By the time he hit M Street, he broke his neck. Oh, God. Like, it's pretty spooky. Yeah, sick. Yeah, I've got, like, elevated heart rate. I've got, like, a little minor adrenaline rush. It still took fucking forever. (laughs) (laughs) Man, old movies, my gosh. This really is an anti-old movie podcast if we're taking any shots. So I said to the astronaut, I said, If I'm going door to door, no one's going to buy my latest typewriters. <laughs> All right. So after failing to revive Meron, the enraged Karis confronts the mocking, laughing spirit and wrestles Reagan's body to the ground. Again, one of the other things they talked about, mm. you know, with Linda Blair playing this role is it was too physical and too extreme a role for her. And that had you know effect on her development growing up and you know was never the same you've got a grown man like throwing you to the floor and and everyone being like yeah "Yeah, this is good yep this this should happen (laughs) this is the right thing to happen yep (laughs) so at Karis's invitation this is like this is a classic end and also like a bit silly but at Karis's invitation it leaves Reagan's body and possesses Karis so in a moment of self-sacrifice and also in the book if I remember this correctly you know regaining his faith Karis throws himself out of the window before he can be compelled to harm Reagan fatally tumbling down a set of uh, stone steps and thus defeating the demon Father Dyer, an old friend of Karis, happens upon this. I love he just showed. There's another priest. Like, there's so many priests <laughs> in this like, oh, world. It's the, the priest conventions are in town. <laughs> he happens upon the scene and administers the last rites to his friend just as he's about to die, which means that luckily Karis can go to heaven, which I think is what that means. Um, uh, like, falling out of windows from like two story houses is surprisingly fatal in the 1970s like <laughs> i like if i jumped out of a two story window i'd expect to maybe break a leg at worst like the number of fatalities from jumping out of windows seems surprisingly high 
I also don't want to, you know, enrage anyone with like a medical or like, you mm. know, paramedical background in any way but even got like falling down a long set of stairs i'm gonna be injured but i just yeah. don't think like if you fell down a set of stairs now you might like bump your shoulder and hurt your foot and be like man that like that hurt to fall down those stairs jeepers but also fatal flaw of an assyrian demon from like you know six million bc or mm. wherever you're from you possess the wrong person and they die and you're dead that doesn't ring true to me well, it's strange, isn't it? Like, he's like, what? You want me to possess you? Sounds good. And it's like, well, hang on. Like, <laughs> <what can> I... <laughs> <You know? laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 So a few days later, Reagan, now back to her normal self, prepares to leave for Los Angeles with her mother. Although Reagan has no apparent recollection of her possession, she's moved by the side of Dyer's clerical collar to kiss him on the cheek. As the car pulls away, Chris... Yeah, it's super like, how cool a priest. Um, as the car pulls away, Chris tells the driver to stop and she gives Father Dyer a medallion that belonged to Karis. After they drive off, Dyer pauses at the top of the stone steps before How did Chris get the medallion? Turning. Why did it come into her <laughs> possession? <laughs> I don't know. I've okay, acted so- for the executive of a number of priest estates, right? <laughs> like, priests do not, do not lose their right to, you know, express their testamentary intentions. Adrian Corbord will back me up on this. Like, priests don't... Like, you can't just find, like, kill a priest and take their stuff and it's yours. <laughs> it's in their estate. She's like, yeah, he died in my house, so it's my medallion and you can have it. Fucking hell, tough. Times. He might have had a brother or a sister who would love that medallion. Nieces, nephews. So in, in, in 2000, a version of the film known as the version you've never seen or the extended director's cut was released. Mm. In the ending of this version, when Chris gives Karis's medallion to Dyer, Dyer places it back in her hand and suggests that she keep it. So he's like, yeah, you can have yeah, like, Everyone's me. allowed to have a say. Yeah. <laughs> After she and Reagan drive away, Dyer pauses at the top of the stone steps before walking away and coming across Kinderman, who narrowly missed Chris and Reagan's departure. Kinderman and Dyer begin to develop a friendship. It, so, like, what? Cool the extended f- <laughs> <laughs> Now, Peach, there's, there's one more thing I wanted to say about this yeah, film yeah. That, that is actually super cool and, again, I think is, is used by... Uh, like filmmakers now and maybe they don't even know that they're referencing the the Exorcist but they totally are so first of all the filmmaker put a couple of uh, I guess subliminal messages in the film to scare us like a lot more sick so so there's one there's one face that appears for one frame in a dream sequence of one of the priests I'm just going to put it in the chat right now just imagine this face, just show it, like, and, and most people, like, didn't even know what they saw because it only appears for one frame, right? So, imagine, and I'm just I'm just adding it to the chat now. Isn't imagine, this a bit fucked? Like, audiences can't consent to this. They didn't consent to seeing this. No, and imagine in the 70s, well, there's no real consent in the 70s anyway, oh. but imagine this happened to you and you're watching and you're like, what did I just say? Hang on. What am I about to say? Just click on the Yeah, link. it's downloading. Oh, good. That is so, so that, that's in there for one frame. So I don't even know that I don't even know I've seen it. You you see it enough to acknowledge it, but it, it it's so fleeting 
and it's so not connected to anything else that everyone's just kind of you, you'd be like oh fuck you'd probably be like did you did you and you know if someone else didn't see it like it would play mind games with you i i both love that but i'm also like i see your point fuck, like, that's it's so fucked isn't that deeply fu- am i am i being too touchy like i feel like that's really messed up to do to audiences like so it's in the film now like, you can go find it that's a still from the well, movie it, that i just saw it's a still from the film it's a still from the film and the other thing is earlier on in the film unexplained he uses the sound of bees because the sound of bees put the put your human like you know uh, body in a heightened sense of sort of fight or flight because you know they're a danger to you so if you hear a swarm of bees you automatically are like oh mm. what's going on and he does that early on before anything's happened just to get you spooked like how cool what? is that because part of me kind of thinks you go to what like again this goes to this this question of consent which comes up a lot in this film but <laughs> You, you. I guess you consent to a film scaring you, right? And that's what the ratings are for. So the ratings tell you this film has, mm. you know, violence, sexual imagery, or whatever, and adult themes, and it's a scary film. The filmmaker can then kind of do whatever they want to scare you, right? I think no. Like I think subliminal messaging. I think you communicating to me when I don't know you're doing it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I find it upsetting, but. Is this one of the better movies we've done? Like, was that actually pretty oh. sick, apart from the clumsiness with the medallion at the end? Look, I, I, and I'm sure in the film it makes a lot more sense, but even the Wikipedia makes sense, which is usually a good sign <laughs> for a horror film. Uh, big ups to Katie. As always, please send us your suggestions. Follow us on Insta. Just search Spooko. You'll find us. Rate us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever mm, you listen to us. Sling us a medallion. You know, it'll be... <laughs> <laughs> if there are any dead priests around, make sure you get us Rob a medallion. Em. Rob <laughs> If you can't be a priest friend, be their enemy. Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?